0: Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Will Lingo, I'm John Manuel. Thanks for the download. A little late here uh, this week, but uh, looking forward to talking baseball with you here for the next 15 or so minutes on the Baseball America podcast. First one for me in a while, Will, and uh, glad to be back at it.
1: And now with uh, two kids, joining the two-kid generation.
0: Yes, well, uh, uh, the joke I keep making, as I just made uh, before we were on the air, is that we were playing man-to-man now instead of zone. I, I still like that joke. Especially, especially since it is college basketball season now. so we'll, When you we'll keep only using have one it.
1: kid, though, you can run like a zone press. It's when you're playing zone and you're out man that you're really in trouble.
0: Yes, that would be called the callous defense. As <laughs> uh, Jim Callis has four or children. Or the Leventhal defense now. <laughs> the Leventhal defense. Uh, they, they. It's hard for the, for the Leventhal kids. They're all too young to run the three-on-two break properly. <laughs> uh, the Callis kids have grown to an age where they can take advantage of the defense, it would appear.
1: Doing three or four, that's... That's brave that, that takes a strong constitution
0: that's brave and uh, doing three or four and uh, and having doing two uh, top thirty prospects or three <laughs> top thirty prospects and editing a prospect handbook. That's uh, called bravery or being crazy, but uh, j- apply, both apply to Jim Callis, so we applaud Jim <laughs> for that. So. But we'll talk a little baseball. We'll talk a little uh, Project Runway, Season 4 underway. We have if you many remember.
1: loyal baseball fans who really enjoy us talking about Project Runway at the tail end of a podcast. And we have some
0: who can't stand it, so you can turn <laughs> off early when we start talking about Project Runway. That's uh, that's fine. You can turn the sound down. But let's talk about the headlines in baseball, though, Will. Uh, headline-filled week here before... Uh, Thanksgiving, and sometimes at this time of year, annually this time of year, baseball is giving out its awards, and maybe the you know the close National League Rookie of the Year vote, one of the closest ever, or the closest ever between Ryan Braun and Troy Tulawitzki, that would be the biggest headline, or Jake Peavy being a unanimous Cy Young Peavy's Award winner. Jake Peavy's the guy who
1: definitely did not get proper headlines for his achievement. Yes, he was
0: tertiary story yesterday. Secondary story was the largest contract in baseball history. The framework of that being agreed to between the Yankees and Alex Rodriguez. But uh, once again, in 2007, the story in baseball is Barry Bonds. Whether you want like it or you don't like it, as Ric Flair used to say, you have to learn to live with it because it was the biggest story going today, and that's Barry Bonds being indicted for perjury by the federal government. So the Balco stuff, all the investigations, the game of shadows, all these things finally produce an indictment. In my mind, it's almost like too little too late. Where was this prior to Bonds getting the 762? But in some ways... Bonds' pursuit of Aaron and the tainted pursuit of Aaron and surpassing Aaron almost brought so much more attention to Hank Aaron. I guess if you want to look at it that way, but a generation from now, I think all the people are going to see is whatever A-Rod's record is going to be, and then Bonds and, Bear, and and Hank Aaron being third. Yeah, I guess the
1: good thing is that you do figure A-Rod is going to break the record relatively soon if, if his career continues on its present arc. Um, so, yeah, if Barry Bonds is in second place, uh, Tom Verducci wrote very eloquently today that, you know, that number doesn't need an asterisk. It's always going to be accompanied by shame and derision. I think he used better words than that. But that's that's the gist of it. I, you know, people don't need to attach any any special designation to Barry Bonds' numbers. We all judge them that way anyway. Uh, when I was at my son's school this morning in the library, first graders in line checking out books, one of them <laughs> just turned to the other one and said, Barry Bonds is a cheater. So... I think that sums it up pretty well. Out of the mouths like you, of babes, like you say, the the indictment is almost sort of an anti-climax, But I do think that and the Mitchell report will hopefully tie up the loose ends on the steroid era, and we can just sort of move move forward from here.
0: I sure hope so. Always forward, never backwards. I hope we're twirling, twirling, twirling toward a better toward a drug-free, steroids, uh, uh, offensive per- era. I hope so. Um, we'll see. How things play out the the Mitchell report. It's pretty funny how it went from one interpretation to the, you know got misconstrued. Another eleven free agents who are on the Mitchell report, which that's just not true. Um, that I, I, Bonds. I think you make a great point to link the two between Bonds' little interview with Jim Gray, the indictment. I can't see how Barry Bonds' career will continue. He's a free agent. I don't see a team signing yeah, a player who's been indicted.
1: The Giants were the only team that had any sort of you know, rope with their fans where the fans would tolerate Barry Bonds just because of his history in San Francisco. You know, when we were there for the All-Star Game, there were fans wearing Barry Bonds jerseys. I'm sure they were as as well aware as we are of what's gone on in Barry Bonds' career. But the Giants are obviously done with him. The other teams aren't going to want to get into that quagmire at all, I don't think. So that career
0: is probably over. 262 – I mean, 762 home runs. Looks like that's the record. As Verducci wrote, and I agree with, and you agree with, uh, not really much need for an asterisk, the guy. Uh, it speaks for itself. For this generation, obviously an asterisk is even the worst. I think that you wouldn't put an asterisk, but there should be some designation in the future. <laughs> if he's indicted and he's, you know, found a court of law to be guilty for saying that he, they didn't knowingly take steroids, that, that's a lie. They knowingly took steroids, which I believe, and I think you believe. Well, and from that, what I've I heard, like I, haven't, I haven't books.
1: read the indictment myself, but from what I've heard, the indictment does contain documentation of a positive steroid test At Balco. from Balco, right? Which I, I guess, would be the first sort of on the record, Smoking gun, yeah, indication that Barry Bonds has taken steroids. Now, anybody who's read any of the creditable reporting on Bonds knows that's the case already, but this is just, you know, another log to throw on the fire, I guess.
0: Yes, there are many of those. Many of those. This is quite the blaze. This is like the fire that uh, Tom Hanks had on the on the beach in uh, Castaway. It was supposed to be a signal fire. This is a big, this is a big old obvious fire uh, with Barry Bonds. But I think that career's over, um, and good riddance, basically, as far as I could tell. I mean, great hitter, fun to watch hit. Just to see a guy that locked in. But you know, Manny Ramirez is pretty locked in in the postseason this year too, and he. Squared up everything on the barrel, mm-hmm. and you know Manny Ramirez is just too nuts to take uh, to take steroids or performance enhancers. I don't think I don't have that whiff of suspicion about Manny Ramirez, and um, nor nor do I about Ken Griffey Jr., which I read something this week, which is uh, which was pretty cool about just you know Ken Griffey's aging like players always used to age. Right, that's the greatest evidence that Ken Griffey Jr. is clean. Mm-hmm. You know, he got hurt like. It's a shame n- that the injuries, yeah.
1: sort of changed his career trajectory. But yes, he's at least. Following his career arc, the way nature intended.
0: Now, his former teammate Alex Rodriguez does not quite have. He doesn't have the the. Uh, there's no signal fire for him, of performance-enhancing drug use. Doesn't he's, seem to be. And
1: he's just raked from the time he picked up a baseball bat, pretty much. Yes, until the playoffs. That's exactly what he's done.
0: <laughs> um, until he put on Yankee pinstripes, and for whatever reason. Alex Rodriguez has decided to go put Yankee pinstripes on again. Actually, though, I believe there are 280 or so million reasons that he's yeah, done think, it.
1: I mean, I think people will theorize about this for for time immemorial, trying to figure out. You could have the,
0: seen that way on the blogosphere recently. The, the opt out
1: and you know going into the market and then ending up back with the Yankees so quickly. I mean, I expected him to end up with the Yankees, frankly, but I expected it to be sort of the Scott Boris path where. You go into the market, you get some numbers generating, and then you get somebody to sort of make a panic move at the end of the process at the last minute.
0: I really thought there would be a circus at the winter meetings of Al Rodriguez being shopped around by Scott Boras and Boras throwing out fake offers from other clubs that don't really exist. And without having to do all that, without A-Rod being 25, as he was last time he was a free agent, without any of I guess 26 actually, without any of that, A-Rod got more money – now that he got seven years ago, and he was younger, played shortstop, and you know was entering his peak. Now I think he's past his peak. I really do. I'm, I think he might be
1: at his peak, but I would say most then. of. The, I think a lot of this contract will be on the downside of his he, career. He
0: had his peak. He had a similar season to this as a shortstop four years ago. Um, so to me, this is a guy who's at or passing his peak, no longer a shortstop. He's signing a 10-year contract that will take him to the age forty-two, forty-three 42, 43 season. I don't understand why he got more money than he got last time, even if the revenues of the sport are greater. That last contract was a bad contract. It wasn't just a bad contract in the context of baseball at that time where they overpaid because other teams were $19 million. It's a bad contract in that at $25 million a year, it's almost impossible even for the best player in baseball to perform to that level. And if you look at his production... That his teams have gotten worse in his seven years. They got worse. His teams in Texas were worse with him than they were without him before, and they have been since then, and the Yankees have been worse with him. But it's not his fault. But I think the his Yankees fault, would have been
1: much worse without him going into next season. I'm not convinced of that. I just don't see where else they were going for a third baseman. I mean, of, Mike Lowell's a
0: free agent. My, my, my Miguel Cabrera, obviously the price is high on Miguel Cabrera, but uh, the price is high in terms of – pitchers or pitching prospects or trade but I think
1: Lowell's going back to Boston and Alex Rodriguez is better than Mike Lowell
0: he is better than Mike Lowell but Mike Lowell has two World Series rings and That's Alex true. Rodriguez has none and Mike Lowell has been a key part of those two he's not incidental to those two championships and Alex Rodriguez I, I, I mean then I, I know this just sounds irrational but he's the, the the facts speak for themselves the last 7 years the 7 years of that giant contract for whatever reason he has not performed up to that contract when things matter in the areas that matter the most well, i think it's I interesting don't see for how the teams yankees could ignore that. that i don't understand why the yankees would ignore that
1: after the yankees got knocked out of the playoffs early i think everybody thought there were going to be massive changes to that team and obviously changing the manager is a huge change but sure. th- that team's going to look a lot like it did last year next year
0: Yes, it is. It's Uh, going to be
1: much more expensive, even more expensive than it was last year with Posada... Uh, Rivera and Arod coming back at much higher prices for the
0: for the for the market for the rest of the industry. The Posada and potential Rivera contracts are actually worse for the industry. Right. If you're the Minnesota Twins, for you're example, talking about
1: guys even closer, even yes, more in the decline. Absolutely. If you, if you argue that Arod's in in a decline, those two guys are much more. I mean, further had, along in their decline.
0: Jorge Posada had a fantastic 2007 year, by far the best of his career. He's 36. He's going to be. The, uh, and not a four, useful player by the end of that contract. He's a 36-year-old catcher who just signed a four-year deal. That is almost unprecedented. I think it is unprecedented, and he got a lot of money. But, Mark, again,
1: the, who were the Yankees, what were the Yankees going to do at catcher next year without Pito him? Pito Santa? <laughs> yeah. So, I they, don't think so, they were in sort of a bad position, so they had to overpay for all three of those guys. But,
0: like, the Mariano Rivera question, that's even more vexing to me, because why pay? They can pay $15 million a year for Mariano Rivera, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to them. But, They could have had Jabba Chamberlain as their closer and probably be better. I know I'm a sacrilege to say that, but Mariano Rivera is 38. That's old. Yeah, and if you say he's grooming –
1: if you say Jabba's the – you know, in what the Mariano Rivera role was when John Wetland was there, I mean, why are you paying Mariano Rivera that much to be Jabba's tutor? Yeah, Um, I don't
0: quite get it. I don't quite get it, but that drives up the price for everyone else, for catchers and for closers, and that's where – the iniquity in the But the, the other interesting really thing from a B.A. perspective
1: is just it's so rare to see Scott Boris, to see a, a Scott Boris negotiation not go exactly to his blueprint, and I can't imagine that this was the blueprint he had laid out for the, the A-Rod free agency.
0: I don't think it was either, um, because I think he really believes it when he says industry re- revenues are triple what they were when Alex Rodriguez in the last contract, so Alex Rodriguez is a better player now, blah, blah, blah. He, I think he really thought... He was going to get A-Rod 300 to $350 million. It was interesting for Alan Shorts of the New York Times, formerly mm-hmm. of Baseball America, to write about um, how this mirrored in some ways A-Rod's draft negotiation uh, where A-Rod had to um, kind of go past uh, his agent, Scott Boris, to get past a impasse in negotiations and make a deal happen, which yeah. it sounds like you kind of either... happened this year.
1: You can either go back to your old Baseball Americas and read about that, because Allen was the one who covered that force when Arod was drafted, or you can go to the New York Times website and re- read sort of his synopsis of that. But it, it is pretty much exactly the same set of circumstances. Scott Boris was holding out for, I believe the number was $3 million. The Mariners were offering less than half of that. It was getting down to the last minute. I don't think Arod really wanted to play college ball at Miami. He wanted to get his pro career started, so... He did sort of an end around, and Scott Boras was not involved in the final negotiations of the contract. I think uh, Alan's story said he was you know, contacted by phone through the process, um, consulted as they were you know, drafting the final details, but he was not really part of the final negotiations and actually later filed a grievance over the right. case, which was eventually dropped.
0: Suffice it to say, A-Rod gets more money than any other player in the history of the game has gotten, including him, and that's – Really, with only one team negotiating. Mm -hmm. So, if you want to try to spin this as a Scott Boris loss, I don't see how you can do that. Because his client got more money. Yeah. And for people in the media who have spun this as a Scott Boris loss, um, it's just not. It's a
1: little bit of a PR loss. It's not
0: how he wanted it to go, that is for sure. But his client comes out pretty good and... If you didn't know the other stuff, Scott Boras, I can see how Scott Boras has been this positive. For me, it's a push. The His most interesting better, question to me
1: is whether A-Rod genuinely really wanted to go back to the Yankees, and that's why he you know, sort of took things over, or whether they got out in the market and found that the team they were right. looking for to be the exorbitant bidder just wasn't there, and this was sort of a fallback plan. I just That's don't just think, sort of interesting from a right. historical perspective. I,
0: I just think the flaw in the whole thing is that I just don't think having one player who makes that much money works in Major League Baseball. Like it might work in football where you have a quarterback who clearly can make more than everyone else because he is more important than everyone else on the team. Well, it works, or in the NBA where one star can be I'd say it's most mitigated
1: with the Yankees because they do... Have such a large payroll, but you still do have that one guy who is making a lot more money than everybody else,
0: making seven million more dollars, and And, and with no rings, and the guy who's making twenty million dollars with four rings. And and we can never
1: really know what what kind of clubhouse atmosphere that creates. We can only know what the results have been for the Yankees, like you say, and the results speak for themselves. They do.
0: So it's the Baseball America podcast. He's Will Lingo. I'm John Manuel. Alex Rodriguez was once a prospect, so we probably should talk prospects. That is mo- that's mostly what people tune in for us to do. I don't see any Alex Rodriguez in the National League Central will. But I do see uh, Colby Rasmus be our future cover boy. For the... Colby
1: Rasmus also playing well in the World Cup. Yes, and he sort is. Sort of showing. I think Colby Rasmus is a legitimate uh, future star. And we had a lot of interesting Cardinal stuff in this issue, um, both in their top ten prospects where – I think their their system is on the upswing, and a feature that uh, our Cardinals correspondent Derek Gould did along with his fellow reporter at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, uh, Joe Strauss, just writing about the rift that developed in their front office after Jeff Lunau was hired, and as Jeff Lunau sort of ascended in the organization and, and got more influence at the same time Walt Jockety had the Major League team winning the World Series and then had his contract renewed. But right. there was just a huge divide between sort of the Major League camp and the Minor League camp in that organization. And eventually, Walt Jockety was sort of the odd man out because they decided the situation was untenable.
0: That's unbelievable that the guy who uh, has been the general manager would be the guy that you don't pick, that you pick the farm and sky director guy as the guy you're going to keep around in Jeff now. That now. That's just the shocking part of that to me. Well,
1: I think... I don't know it's you can see that there's blame right on both sides choice. because right. as as those guys write in their story you know a lot of people saw Lunau's elevation as an erosion of Jockety's power but a lot of they they say a lot of people in the organization almost say it was almost an erosion by choice because the Jockety camp made no effort to reach out to the Lunau camp so you there'd can need, you there'd, can there'd, see blame on both sides but yeah it it's just an interesting story and I think John Moselock actually I don't know if he was necessarily going to be their first choice, because you did have some guys drop out of that GM race, but I think he is going to end up being a great choice for them.
0: And just doesn't seem uh, like it... There, there need there need not be two camps, right. is what the Cardinals uh, front office decided, the ownership decided, and rather than having a house divided, they decided even it's more important for us to be one big, yeah, happy I guess organization.
1: I, I think they had already sort of cast their lot with Lunau to remake their farm system, so... It almost would have been harder for them to start over with their scouting and player development than to start over with the new GM. And the
0: thing is, uh, I think you have to say Jeff Luna has done a good job with their scouting and player development. Their top yeah, ten, yeah, top ten looks looks probably, pretty good. Probably in the best shape since our 1997 top ten that we dug <laughs> out yesterday that had eight straight big leaguers at the top.
1: Yeah, I remember that one because Rick Ankiel had just been drafted, had not pitched in a pro game other than instructional league, and I talked with one of their. I can't remember if he was one of their scouts or instructors. Anyway, somebody who had been in their instructional league camp and just talked about how he was dominant in instructional league and struck out like six or seven red spatters in a row in his first or second start. So we ran him up to the top of the list. And uh, that panned out until he got the thing.
0: Yes. It did pan out. He there was were also, the best, was what, clear... five or six other big leaguers oh, on that list? The first eight guys were all big leaguers. So, uh, Placido, Polanco. That brothers. was kind of
1: the, the end of a, a long period of good production from the Cardinals farm system. And since then, they've usually had one or two guys each year who are pretty good, and then a lot of guys who are questionable, and they end up trading away a lot of those guys.
0: Speaking of questionable, the National League Central is a pretty questionable division, period. 83 and 84 wins. Mm-hmm for the division champs the last couple of years. And this g- crop of prospects is pretty uninspiring. I would actually venture to say that for the first time in my Baseball America tenure, the Reds have the best farm system in this division. I don't think it's close.
1: I like their list a lot. And they have the best talent When you talent start with Jay division. Bruce, that's a great place to
0: start. You start with Jay Bruce, but you throw in Johnny Cueto and Homer Bailey. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are probably the two best pitchers in this whole division, aren't they? Prospect-wise? Y-
1: yeah. I mean, we would have to go through the list one by one to to see for sure, but yeah. Well, the I Cubs
0: think. the Cubs' top pitching prospects are Jose Seda, Sean Gallagher, Donald Veal, and Jeff Samarja. I don't think so. Those guys don't compare to Bailey and Cueto, in my opinion. The Astros, we could just zoom right past them. That's one of the worst parts of the game. Good, but
1: their system is in terrible shape. I mean, the Brewers,
0: Manny Parra is good. Mm-hmm. I'd take Bailey or Anqueto mm-hmm. over him. Uh, The Pirates, oh, what a wasteland.
1: That is a bad system.
0: I mean, I have a lot of respect for Brian Graham. I think Brian Graham is a really good farm director. I don't know Ed Creech. Ed Creech's track record is not inspiring. But collectively, I can't see a a better case that can be made for an organization that needed to clean house top to bottom than Pittsburgh. I understand why why Brian Graham was upset
1: to be fired, but I can understand... Change for the sake of change with the Pirates
0: and the Cardinals. Chris Perez is their top pitcher and of Vino and Jaime Garcia. And yeah, you know? they, I mean, when but, your
1: ceilings are closer, that automatically right. puts you behind a guy. So the Reds a... are
0: the Reds haven't really developed homegrown pitchers since Mario Soto and Tom Browning, and they have the two best pitching prospects in this division. And then they have the best player in Jay Bruce. Uh, they have a polished, ready for the big leagues hitter in Joey Votto. They have toolsy guys like Drew Stubbs and Devin Mezzarocco and Todd Frazier. Mm-hmm. They have relievers like Sean Watson and Josh Reneke. They have a nice lefty they picked up in Matt Maloney. They have some depth. I think that's the best farm system in the Amer- National League Central. And, and I, then
1: I might put the Cardinals behind them. I
0: might, too, because Colby Rasmus is oh, Colby are Rasmus. Also,
1: so those are two sort of surprising systems that haven't been good in a while. Absolutely. They look like they're on the upswing.
0: The Cubs are maybe the weirdest top ten in this because you got – uh, number one prospect who went six for 51 this year, <laughs> and Josh Vitters, I think it uh, it's, tells you a little bit about how we do things. We're, mm-hmm. all, we're about ceiling. Ultimately, we're about ceiling. It's uh, ceiling and chance to reach the ceiling, but when Josh Vitter gets picked third overall, we believe in that ceiling, and we believe in the Cubs' ability to draw that ceiling out, even though they have not developed a hitter who'd become a good big leaguer in the last 10 years.
1: And that's the subject of Jim Callis' column, which right. is in the same issue which I think Cubs fans and non-Cubs fans alike will find an interesting read. And yeah, we always anytime we can on, run an Earl Cunningham photo. That's always always we like a the, good thing. We
0: like the bag on the Giants for not developing position players. The Cubs are just as bad. Mm-hmm. They've developed, they've signed, drafted and signed two who've become legit regulars, and Eric Hinsky and Corey Patterson. And those are both back. Those would be below those average. Are below regulars. average regulars, or as my three-year-old would pronounce it, yegular. <laughs> um, and then you've got uh, Ryan Terrio. Who uh, they developed? Uh, he's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in the draft. But like internationally, like maybe Gio Soto or Ronnie Cedeno turn into regulars, but Felix PA has a chance. But their track record for developing hitters is kind of sketchy. I got to be honest with you, Josh Vitters. He's an Alan Matthews fave. I'm not on that bandwagon. I I don't not like I don't believe in him. I believe he'll be good. But he to me is kinda of like a Pat Burrell where Pat Burrell was supposed to be a superstar mm-hmm. was the one one pick in, in ninety eight. Yeah, I'm
1: not sure. And I think I that, believe that.
0: I think Josh Vitters is gonna be like Pat Burrell where he's good, but you're always wanting a little more. I, I I think he's gonna be that kind of player, and I also think he'll end up in left field like Pat Burrell. You heard it for here first. <laughs> um uh, my money's on the Mustakas kid. Um but the rest of that Cubs list. I mean, Kevin Hart, he didn't make your Orioles top 30 last year. <laughs> and he's in the Cubs top 10. Now, Kevin Hart's a different pitcher now than he was with the Orioles. So the Cubs improved him some. Perhaps I should give Oneary Flate a little credit for that. Good farm system. Good development by the Cubs, but it's not a great farm system anymore. No, and like um, you say. The saved. Pirates are bad, and they've had high pick after high pick after high pick. and It's a bad farm system. you got the number six, and they're talking about utility players. The number six spot in their top ten. Yeah, it's, I mean it's it's oof. it's ugly, and it really has no alibi. Um,
1: so when you're talking about the National League Central getting better, it's not bloody it's, likely. It's hard to see. Uh, it's
0: the Brewers where they've graduated, where all their good young players are already in the big leagues. The Brewers are the organization in my mind that has the highest ceiling. But I mean, as far as, as that League division Central,
1: becoming more competitive, where you have to win yeah. 95 games to win it, yeah, not I don't bloody see likely. That.
0: No, nope, me neither. So,
1: but it, that makes it more interesting for every team in that division. You you can legitimately go into every year thinking you could win it all.
0: Well, let's wrap up with a couple minutes of prospect uh, of a prospect talk. Uh, Project Project, Project prospect. Runway, exactly. <laughs> Project Suspect. <laughs> Project Runway talk. Um, first show of season four was on the other night. Highlights. Heidi Klum still looks great. I Had thought she
1: actually looks better than she.
0: Ever has. It's uh, pretty good for uh, having had two kids, and she's, she's aged gracefully. So we're we're big Heidi Klum ha- fans here at Baseball America. Glad to see Tim Gunn back on the show. Glad, yeah. I would not have texted, though, when they had, what's your favorite part of Project Runway, and you text your vote, and Tim Gunn won 54% of the vote. Wow. He would not have won mine. The show
1: wouldn't be the same without him, but, yeah, I don't know. if
0: I'm not sh- I don't know if I can put my finger on what is my favorite part of the show. But I definitely think Heidi Klum is in the top two. So um, we'll give her that credit. I just
1: like the fact that the show is about what it's about. It's not, you know, so many reality shows are just about, you know, the silly gameness of it. Right. Or the, you know, people freaking out or being dramatic. This show is about, it's, or lesbian it's supposed hookups. to be, yeah, I mean, it's just about silly stuff. Yes, this thinking, this show is supposed to be about fashion designers, and what do you know? They do fashion designing. That's right. And I couldn't care less about fashion. but Yes, we have this, one person
0: in the whole office, and Sarah Hyatt, <laughs> who gives a darn about fashion. And uh, she watches the show, but you and I and you don't usually – well, you tuck your shirt in. I don't. <laughs> I'm a bit sloppier than the average Joe, but I really enjoy the show. And I think it's – despite the fact that that – it's just true to itself. It's a right. very sincere show. It doesn't try to be anything that it's not. And the people who are on the show, uh, most of the designers are not sincere, but the judges and Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn are very true to who they are, and Nina Garcia and all of them. <laughs> so I enjoy the show for that standpoint. You knew
1: Nina Garcia was going to tear up the uh, the woman Simone, who yeah Simone who sort Blanc. of sort of ran out of time to properly sew up her dress. You knew Nina Garcia was going to be so all over that. When I saw
0: that Nina was one of the judges, I was just couldn't wait for her to just when tear up said, Simone. Could
1: you, could you have your model take off the jacket, please? <laughs> yes, so like, all right, she's done. <laughs>
0: I took and the show's pleasure in that.
1: And the show does have one legitimately crazy person, as every reality show has to have. Uh, what is what is that one? I think it's name? Kristen.
0: I think it's Kristen. She's not on this little cheat sheet we have, but it's the, oh, uh, it's Lisa. That's oh, who it's Lisa. It I'm sorry, she doesn't really look Elisa. like that photo,
1: but. Uh, yeah, she's the, loco in she's, La cabeza. She's a marionette designer who got into fashion <laughs> That's
0: right. She's straight out of uh, being John Malkovich.
1: And the uh, first first person ever to finish early and go take a nap on Project Runway. That and was also awesome.
0: The, also, the first time that we ever heard uh, Heidi Klum say poo. Oh, yeah. He she said looked that he, like she was pooing fabric. Her dress fabric. like your model is pooing fabric. So, <laughs> uh, Very many highlights from the first uh, one. Put this. Write this one down. Well, who's your pick to win? Who's your pick to click the whole thing um, after one episode? I think
1: the smart money would be on the guy who actually won the first yeah, challenge. Yeah, Rami?
0: Rami. Yeah, my That's where my money is.
1: Um, if I had to pick somebody else, I think I might go with uh, Jack.
0: <laughs> I don't even know who that is. Is that a straight guy or the the larger, the plus size? Like, okay, I my upset special is the plus sized yeah, gay designer. That Chris. guy.
1: Actually did it did a good job.
0: He was uh, also interesting to watch him where everyone else made the mad dash for the fabric tents, and he just made the lethargic dash, <laughs> which would have been the same dash I would have made. I would have made the the, the lethargic stroll, so I'm feeling it uh, for Chris. I feel an empathy and a connection there with the larger But in the uh, first episode, it's so hard designer. for them
1: to focus on... Everybody, you know, there are a lot of contestants who we basically learned nothing about in that episode. Jack,
0: I believe, is the one that gets kicked off. That's the buzz. Oh, really? Buzz I, buzz on Jack, I believe, is he's the one who gets kicked off. He's the one with all the drama this year. Uh oh. So, but uh, last year, the guy who probably could have won was the guy who got kicked off early as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, we're glad the show's back. Obviously, Will and I are interested. If you are, you can send those into us at baseball, podcast at baseballamerica.com. Uh, our question from Phoebus Apollo, we should read it before we uh, – was basically, uh, since Ryan Braun won Rookie of the Year for us and for the National League, he asked if the Nationals had to do it again in that year, that wonderful 2005 draft was going to go down as one of the great drafts ever. Uh, the number four pick they took, Ryan Zimmerman. The number five pick they took the other Ryan, Ryan Braun. Mm-hmm. Ryan Braun, not Lloyd Braun, but Ryan Braun. If they had that to do over again, would they take Ryan Zimmerman or would they take Ryan Braun? I believe they actually would take Ryan Zimmerman. He was ready for the major leagues quicker, and he's a much better defender. And offensively, he's pretty good. And I don't know that Ryan Braun will repeat this kind of season. He, the strike oh, yeah, out of walk ratio wasn't question. that great. If, he,
1: if Ryan Braun puts up these kinds of numbers every year, then he's definitely the better guy.
0: But everyone has always known that his offensive ceiling was higher than Ryan Zimmerman's. Right. But I think they were looking for a little bit more than just a good player. When they drafted Ryan Zimmerman, they basically drafted him to be the face of their franchise for two years until they got into their ballpark. Mm-hmm. Now the ballpark will be the face of the franchise until they get good. But Ryan Zimmerman has been the face of the Nationals for two years. I think that was a huge factor in them drafting Ryan Zimmerman. And yeah. you, can, you can debate the worthiness of that being a factor. To have a
1: guy who... They drafted and who was almost immediately in the big leagues. I, I do think legitimized them to some degree. I, and
0: I think it was a big deal for them. Yeah, it was kind of a big deal. And so I think that's why they did it. So I think if they had the choice to do over again with those same circumstances, they would do it. Different circumstances, maybe they would do something different. It's yeah, not like think, they couldn't use. I think right now people. you would
1: say they would do it again. Maybe. But in, if, if in five, five years, years from now, if
0: Ryan Braun's hitting, i putting up a 1,400 ops against left-handed pitchers every year. And being league average the rest of the time, I think they'd probably say, well, we probably should have taken Ryan Braun. But uh, the point is, those are both really, really good players. And I think the consensus in the industry is that Alex Gordon will have a better career than those guys. When they were all amateurs, that was the consensus. Mm -hmm. And so Alex Gordon was picked second in that draft, Justin Upton first. The kind of the question in the middle of all that is Jeff Clement at three, Troy Tulowitzki went seven, not three. He was pretty darn good. And then Ricky Romero is not anywhere near the major leagues like all the other that's guys. That's the one are. So that really sort the of jumps out at you. I'll turn that knife every time <laughs> if I can uh, in the side of Blue Jays fans, out of my uh, enmity for the Blue Jays, but out of just I just don't understand what that organization was thinking at that time. Anyway, that's another. That's a great place to wrap it up. I think a so. dead end discussion. I'm Martin Luther <laughs> the. Uh, this uh this podcast so for will lingo i'm john Manuel. until next time so long everybody everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but
1: you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it